0: Does God still heal? Hmm, I don't know that one. I can't do explanations yet. Hey, students! It's so good to see all of you tonight. It's so good to see all of you that are are here with us in person, and I'm so glad to also see all of you who are joining us online. So glad that we're able to be together tonight. Uh, it's such a blessing, even right now, just to be able to have the opportunity to gather together, both in person and online, just to, to worship and dig into the Word of God. So over the past couple of weeks, we've been in this series called Unanswered. Uh, and the whole idea of this series is that we are looking at some of the big questions that people have when it comes to their faith, the, the big questions that people have when it comes to God. Uh, and over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at two really big questions that a lot of people tend to have, and tonight we're going to look at a third. And, and so over the last two weeks, we've, we've started out looking at the question of how can God be good when bad things happen? And we looked at, you know, how how can God be a good God, the good God that is portrayed in the Bible? How can that be true when there's so much evil, when there's so much injustice, when there's so much suffering that we see in the world? And so we talked about how despite the suffering, despite the the bad things in life, we can see the goodness of God and, and we really come to know the goodness of God and we come to know what is right and wrong because God is, has placed on all of our hearts this idea of right and wrong this moral law and so the simple fact that we can know what right and wrong is points us that there is a God the, the fact that it doesn't matter how you grew up it doesn't matter what race uh, creed religion you are like you know what right and wrong is and that's because God has put a moral law on our heart and then last week we took it a step further and looked at a really deep question of how can God be loving but send people to hell. You know, the Bible portrays this loving God who just loves his children. So how can God be loving, but yet people go to hell, this place that is absent of God, this place of torment as we talked. We talked about how, while yes, God is loving, God is also a God of justness. God is a God of justice. And that the simple fact that Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins so that we don't have to go to hell. That portrays to us the love and the care that God has for us. God would not have sent his son to die on the cross to give us a way, uh, a pass out of hell, a pass to heaven instead of hell if he didn't first love us. But the the harsh reality is, is that if we live a life apart from God, then we live an eternity apart from God. And so tonight we're going to look at another question and I kind of want to tell you this story uh, first before we, we dive into it I think kind of just helps set it up you know I can I can rem- remember all all through school middle school high school even into college uh, I would have tests you know you also have tests uh, would have these tests and I would fail them you know I, I didn't prepare well for some of them and, and I'd go take that test. And I knew walking out, like even mid-test, probably at the beginning of the test, I knew that like I was not passing this test. This test was not going to go my way and I was going to get a bad grade on it. And I I would always, after the test was graded, I would always receive a notification on my phone saying, hey, (laughs) your test has been graded. Go look at your score. Go view your grade. And I can remember always getting those notifications and just my stomach just like sinking, like I knew it was going to be a bad grade, but I didn't know how bad it was going to be. And so I didn't know what my grade was going to look like, if it was going to completely unravel my grade and everything i would worked for. You know, I didn't know what the consequences were going to be. I didn't know what it was going to do to me. And so I would have this apprehension, this kind of anxiety feeling because I, I knew it was bad, but I didn't really want to know how bad it is. And I think this kind of apprehensive kind of anxiety feeling of assuming it's bad, but not really wanting to know how bad, I think we as Christians sometimes have that feeling when it comes to science and faith. You know, like we just kind of assume that if we are to look at how science relates to faith, like we just kind of assume it's bad. I know it's bad and I know that relation is bad, but how bad is it going to be? And I really don't want to know how bad it's going to be. You know, I think sometimes that uh, we think if we compare science and Christianity, our faith is going to completely unravel. That as we start to look at how faith and science and Christianity, how, how all those things relate, that it's not going to be good. And what we're going to find is going to cause our faith in Jesus, our faith in the Bible, in the Word of God, to completely unravel. And maybe that's how you feel. Maybe that's the position you're in, where like, yeah, you know, there there, there seems to be some contradictions, you know, people outside of the church and some people even in the church say that, hey, there are some really big contradictions when it comes to faith and science, when it comes to the Bible, the Word of God, and science. Like, there are some big contradictions. And so tonight, I I want us to talk about this question of, does science contradict christianity does science contradict christianity because as christians i I really believe this is an extremely important topic for us to understand because science is all around us something science is something that you cannot escape (laughs) you cannot escape science it's something that we are taught all our lives about and i think sometimes we have a real problem as students and really just as people of believing things just because someone says it's true without looking at it from a, an objective standpoint. So my goal for you tonight is is for you to see how there are some real problems with the way science is presented to you each time you open your science textbook. And I want you to see how science truly does, I think, back up scripture and points to God. And you know, I don't want you to, <laughs> to use... we're going to talk about tonight I don't want you to use this as a way to tell your teachers they're wrong Uh, you'll come to find out that many teachers are required to teach the curriculum that they're given regardless of if they agree with it but I do want you to have this knowledge so you won't just believe something because you're told to believe it or because you're told it's right or because you're told it's factual or because you see it. I, I want you to look at it objectively I want you to take this knowledge and begin to ask the questions of, is what society teaches me on a day-to-day basis, is it fully true like they say it is? Or could it be that science and faith work hand in hand and both point to God? So tonight, as we talk about this question of does science contradict Christianity, I want to still look at three different things. Three, I think, big things. I want us to look at the Big Bang Theory and the question of does the Big Bang Theory contradict Scripture. I want us to look at evolution and the the thought of does evolution contradict Scripture. And then I want us to generally look at the question of does science contradict Christianity. So starting out, I want us to look at does the Big Bang Theory contradict Christianity? And, And generally, we've come to this understanding that the Big Bang Theory Uh, is a theory that states uh, a position on how the universe began. How the universe began. Like like that there was this mass of energy that essentially exploded out into the universe, which caused light, which caused all the stars, the earth, everything to kind of fall into the positions that they're in. And, And within the theory, it talks about how, you know, long ago this happened, how long the earth has been here. All that stuff, how long the universe has been here, all that, but generally at its core, it it, it talks about the origin of the universe, the the beginning of time, right? The the moment in time in which the universe formed. I want to read to you starting out a couple quotes. First one's from Stephen Hawking, uh, one of the the most profound physicists that has ever walked this earth, one of the best in his field. Uh, Here's what he said about the Big Bang Theory. He said, Virtually everyone believes the universe had a beginning. Many people do not like the idea that time has a beginning because it smacks of divine intervention. Stephen Hawking, someone who doesn't believe in God, is saying the Big Bang Theory smacks of divine intervention. Another professor uh, wrote a book called The First Three Minutes. He uh, was a professor at Harvard, and was a researcher at Cambridge. Or, excuse me, Columbia, not Cambridge. He wrote a book called The First Three Minutes. And it said, At the beginning, there was a bright explosion of light and energy, and the universe was filled with light. Now, when I read these quotes, and Stephen Hawking says, it smacks of divine intervention, and this Columbia professor is saying, uh that at the beginning there was an explosion of light and energy. That to me really resembles scripture. And it really resembles Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 3. Flip in your Bibles to Genesis 1, right, right here at the beginning. Genesis 1, first three verses in the Bible. Here's what it says. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. And so I want to just flat out argue that Scripture does not contradict the Big Bang theory. That that the Big Bang theory and Scripture do not contradict one another. The Big Bang theory suggests that. At the beginning of time, there was this big explosion and light existed out of that. That at the very beginning of the universe, light came through this explosion of energy. In Genesis 1, 1 through 3, the very beginning of the Bible, when it's talking about in the beginning God created, is saying, one of the, the very first thing God created was the heavens and the earth and then light. He said, let there be light. And there was light the big bang theory i think sometimes we we forget about this and we're, we're not really told of this is the big bang theory was originally proposed by a catholic priest a catholic priest came up with the big bang theory not because he was had disproved god he came up with the big bang theory because he, he was attempting to explain how god created light in the universe He read his Bible in Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 3 about how God is creating the universe and light, and he wanted to understand how God did that. And so he came up with the Big Bang Theory as an explanation for how uh, the the light and the universe were formed by God. What did that look like? This is what he came up with. I think we have to ask ourselves, like, honestly, what do we expect to have happened when God created light? Like the action of God creating light, what do we expect it to have looked like? I think for the longest time growing up, like I expected it just to kind of be like a light switch where doot, doot, you know I could just flip the light switch and there's light, not really much to it, kind of anticlimactic. And a lot of times, I think that God creating light, uh, I grew up thinking that God was just flipping a light switch, like boop, flip the light switch, there's light. But I think if we're being honest, like God creating the universe and light. It wouldn't be too far-fetched to picture it as really an explosion of energy. When God says, let there be light. And there's just light, this, this mass of energy and force and light going out and through the universe. Where the heavens and the universe are formed. I don't think that's too far-fetched to believe. Another professor at Columbia University, Robert Jastrow, when talking about the Big Bang Theory aligning with the Bible, he, he flat out says, the Big Bang Theory aligns with the Bible. The astronomical evidence leads to a biblical view of the origin of the world. Robert Jastro, not a Christian, professor at Columbia University, one of the smartest schools in the country, says, the evidence leads to a biblical view of the origin of the world. Says the Big Bang Theory backs up scripture that they don't seem to be contradictory. And we can say, well, you know, the Big Bang Theory, yeah, it, it talks about the origin of the universe and light and everything else, but it, it gets into uh, how old the earth is and all that stuff. And, you know, uh, it, it suggests that the earth is way older than what scripture seems to suggest. Well, not necessarily. I think if we're looking at... At A literal seven-day creation period then yeah, it it probably does And and this is an ongoing debate amongst Christians like we really just don't know Like was creation? seven literal 24-hour days Or rather was it seven periods of creation by God? Was it seven periods of creation which time did not exist yet? That were not defined by time in which God created things. And if so, how long were those periods of time? We don't know. It could have been years, hundreds of years, thousands of years. We don't know. We're not God. And we're not privileged of knowing that. And frankly, it doesn't really matter. Like whether how old the earth is really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Because how old the earth is doesn't change the fact that God created whether God created in seven twenty-four hour days, or God created over seven periods of time in which each period of time was billions of years, like it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact that God created. That, that that's an arbitrary point. It, it doesn't matter. You know, honestly, when we look at the Big Bang theory, it's more of a problem for people who have a viewpoint without God. I get it, like if you have a viewpoint without God, the Big Bang theory is a bigger problem for you than it is for me believing that God is the source that God is the creator because without God you're left with the question of who or what created the Big Bang who or what created it now think back to the 4th of July right people are shooting off fireworks left and right you probably shot off some fireworks you know and as you heard or, or saw fireworks you didn't just go wow a firework? I, I wonder, wonder what caused that? No, you saw a firework and you probably rightfully assume that someone shot off a firework. <laughs> It'd be the same thing if you heard a gunshot. If you heard a gunshot, you wouldn't go, man, I wonder how that gunshot happened. No, you, you'd probably rightfully assume you heard a gunshot because someone shot a gun. You heard a firework go off because someone shot a firework just ask, like, what's the bigger leap of faith? To believe that God is the source of the Big Bang? Or to believe that it just happened by chance? I'm going to argue that believing it just happened by chance is a much bigger leap of faith. Because also, like, without God, how do you explain the order of things that we see on this earth? But not just on this earth, like in the universe. Let me give you a couple examples. If you look at the earth's rotation and you change it just by a fraction. If it was any slower, if it, if it took more than 24 hours for the Earth to rotate, 360 degrees, it'd be too hot. The Earth would be too hot. But if it went any faster, if it took less than 24 hours to rotate 360 degrees, the atmospheric winds would be too great for you to live on Earth. Everything would blow away. Or you look out into the universe at the planets. You look at Jupiter. Why does Jupiter exist? Well, if Jupiter did not exist in its current orbit, then Earth would be bombarded and hit with all sorts of debris, comets, asteroids, meteors, all those things. But Jupiter acts like a big space vacuum and sucks it all in. And in a lot of ways, protects Earth. You look at the Earth's position to the sun. If the Earth was just a fraction closer to the sun, it'd be too hot, and we'd all die. But if the Earth was a fraction further away from the Sun, it'd be too cold. Everything would freeze. You, you wouldn't be Like, either way, if the Earth was closer or farther from the Sun, water could not exist. Like, life as we know it could not exist on Earth if it was just a fraction closer or further away from the Sun. We look at the Earth's crust. If it was thicker, get this, too much oxygen would be transferred to the surface like oxygen that we need to live, there'd be too much of it. And so something we need to live would end up killing us. But if it was any thinner, volcanic and tectonic activity would make life impossible. You'd have magma shooting up out of the surface and you'd have earthquakes left and right and life would not be able to exist. And so this order that we see, is it a bigger leap of faith to assume that all these things just happen by chance? Like, because if so, like, that's a lot of chances that just happen to land in the right exact spot for a life to exist. Like, that's a lot of chances to just have happened to be right. And logically, we would come to understand that probability would say that at some point, like, something's not going to go right. Like, something would end up wrong. But yet everything seems to have by chance had a 100% rate of ending up in the right spot for life to exist. I mean, down to the minuscule detail. So is it a bigger leap of faith to believe that? Or a bigger leap of faith to, to believe that God orchestrated it? That God put things where they needed to be? That there's a designer, that there's a creator? I'm going to argue that it's a bigger leap of Faith to argue that things happen by chance and to believe that God is a creator who designed things perfectly Now ultimately, I think when we look at scripture and we look at the Big Bang Theory We come to the realization that there is a big God behind the Big Bang The next thing I want to want us to consider is does evolution contradict christianity? Does evolution contradict christianity? And when we look at evolution, uh, we've come to we've been taught we've come to understand that evolution can kind of be broken down into two types of evolution: microevolution and macroevolution. And microevolution simply is the theory that you could take a species and put it in a different environment, and it will adapt to its environment. You can take it out of its original environment, put it in another one, and over time it will adapt. And that we see to be generally true. I mean, that was the general premise in which Charles Darwin coined the theory of evolution, the finches, right? We all know about the finches, Charles Darwin, we've been taught about this many times, that as he observed the finches, they developed different beaks, uh, different attributes, characteristics to adapt to their environments. Completely true, completely scientific. And that does not pose any sort of contradiction to scripture. On the other hand, though, you have macroevolution. And macroevolution is a theory that over time, species evolved into other species. That there was this origin of life, and everything just evolved over billions of years from this origin of life into more complex species. That is the problem. Look, so look up here at the screen. There's, here is a the evolution tree of life, right? This evolution tree of life is something that is in your textbooks, your science textbooks, something that we're all taught about. And down here at the bottom, you have the quote unquote origin of life. And as you go up things and go out on this tree to the tips of the tree, you have species evolving into more complex species, into different species, and and into the species that we know today. And I think when we look at macroevolution, when we look at this idea that species are evolving into other species, there seems to really be four main problems, four main problems with macroevolution. And here's the first one. The first problem with macroevolution is there are no fossils. There's no fossils. Let me just ask you a question. What, I think we would all agree that Harvard is a really smart school with really smart professors. (laughs) One of their professors, Stephen Gould, an atheist, an atheist Harvard professor, Stephen Gould said this, the extreme rarity of transitional fossils in the fossil record persists as a trade secret amongst paleontologists. The evolutionary trees that adorn our textbooks have data only at the tips of their branches. Only at the tips. So this Harvard professor, an atheist, who studies this for a living, who is one of the best in his field on this subject, is saying, we don't have the fossils for when the species transitioned into other species. We only have fossil records for the species that we know today that are at the tips of the tree of life. We do not have the fossil records for the transitional species that we would expect to see as species evolve into other species. And so essentially what he's saying is people believe evolution by faith. They believe it by faith because the evidence is not clear-cut. It's not there. There is not evidence to support it. But we just believe them because that must be what happened, right? Right. Here's the second problem when it comes to macroevolution. The second problem of macroevolution is science cannot reproduce it. Science can't reproduce it. I think ultimately that is the difference between a theory and a law. That's why evolution is a theory, not a law. That's why it's a the theory of evolution, not the law of evolution. When we look at scientific laws, when we look at the law of gravity, And it can be reproduced time and time again. If I drop an object, it's gonna fall because of gravity and That's been a scientific law. It's proven to be observable, testable, and reproducible When we look at evolution, it can be none of those. It's not testable. It's not observable. It's not reproducible It's a theory let me just give you a couple examples. So reproduction, scientifically, cannot happen outside of a species. Right? Like species cannot reproduce outside of their kind. For example, you, you take a golden retriever and a poodle, and you get what? You get a golden doodle. Well, okay, a golden retriever and a poodle are both dogs. They're both of the same species. You take a, a horse and a donkey, and you get what? You get a mule. Well, here's the catcher. The mule is they're sterile. Mules cannot reproduce. A horse and a donkey, while it may be two different animals, they're both of the same genus, scientific genus. They're both of the same kind. But if you took a dog and you took a cat, you could not reproduce a dog and a cat to get a dat. It's not possible. It cannot be done. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard scientists try, they cannot reproduce things outside of their species. You cannot cross-produce species. If we can't do it through science with advanced technology, what makes us think it could have just happened by chance over time? Like, I think we're very advanced technologically and scientifically, so if we can't do it in a laboratory, under controlled settings, what makes us think that just naturally over time in uncontrolled settings, species cross-produced? Not possible. It's not scientific. The third problem that we see when it comes to macroevolution is that evolution is really built on the idea that things over time naturally become more complex. Things over time naturally become more complex. I'm just going to ask you on this one to use your eyes. Like, just think logically for a second and use your eyes. Like, observation. Everything around us suggests that things naturally deteriorate. Things naturally deteriorate. Like, even just look at ourselves. Like, yeah, our our brains develop. But eventually, our brains deteriorate over time. That's because without design and intention, things don't develop. Like, your brain, without intention, would not develop. Your brain doesn't just naturally develop over time to where you become a smarter intellectual. It doesn't happen. Like, you have to go to school. You have to, you got to put forth effort. You got to be intentional in order to develop your brain. Without intention, without design, things don't develop. Things naturally deteriorate. If you stop being intentional to develop your mind, it's going to deteriorate. It will. And whether you like it or not, no matter how much intention you put behind it, you're going to get older and your brain is naturally going to deteriorate. And that's what we see with everything around us. Is things do not naturally get complex on their own. Things naturally deteriorate on their own. The fourth problem that we see with macro evolution, I really think is, probably one of the biggest ones and it's the problem that something cannot come from nothing something cannot come from nothing and I think here is uh, a problem that people know exists but kind of just get this problem just kind of gets swept under the rug by scientists take an iPhone for example we all know what an iPhone is imagine you're walking down the beach here in Destin Florida you're walking down the beach and you you stumble across and there's this iPhone sitting down in the sand Like naturally, you'd probably pick up that iPhone and go, oh, someone dropped their phone. You probably wouldn't pick up that iPhone and go, wow, look at this iPhone. I bet the winds and the rains and the sand, I bet all the elements just came together naturally to create this out of nothing. No, that'd be ridiculous. Like, you know, someone someone made the iPhone because something can't come from nothing. That is a scientific law, like scientifically proven that something cannot come from nothing. And so, my question is, if something cannot come from nothing, then how did evolution even begin? Because the simple fact is, is something cannot come from nothing. Like, that first amoeba, like, how? How did it form? Oh, the molecules, the atoms, all that came together. Okay, well, how did the atoms and the molecules come about? Oh, the gas. Well, how did, how did all the gases and stuff, how, how did that come about? Because we can back that up as far as we want to go. Like we can keep saying, well, this one because of this, and this one because of this, and this one because of this. Well, eventually you're going to come up to a position where you're just going to have to accept that something came from nothing if you believe that God wasn't the source. Because at the end of the day, we know it to be very factual and scientifically true that something cannot come from nothing. And so we're faced with the fact that either God created and was the source at the beginning, or evolution is just a smokescreen. Evolution is just completely false, and we've just been believing and being taught something for years that's not true. But then, if we believe that God created then the rest of evolution must not be true and here's why I want you to look at Genesis chapter 1 I'm going to read verses 9 through 13 and then 20 through 27 listen to this Genesis 1, 9 through 13 and then 20 through 27 God said let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear and that is what happened and God called the dry ground land and the water seas and God saw it was good. Then God said, Let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening past morning came, marking the third day. On to, Over to 20 through 27. Then God said, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water, and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed him, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and the birds multiply on the earth. Evening passed, morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind. Livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And so here, Scripture really is very clear about how God created And it's completely contradictory to macroevolution. The scripture says that things were created and that things reproduce within their kind, which is scientifically accurate, is scientifically observable, and can be reproduced over and over again. Like we just talked about it you cannot reproduce outside of a specific species. We know that to be true. And so back to the thought of. Well, if God created, then evolution cannot be true because if God created, well, here's how God created. Genesis 1. Here is how God created. God did not just create this origin of life and then things evolved. No, it is very specific about how God created. Then we look into Genesis 2, and it is very specific about how God created man, how God created Adam, how God created Eve. Now, let me just say this. If scripture said that, God created life, and that was all it said, then I'd have no problem believing evolution. Then it'd be completely plausible. But it doesn't say that. It says that God created the fish, God created the birds, God created the animals, and God created man, each of their own kind. And it says that God created the, the vegetation, the trees, the plants, each of their own kind. And it doesn't say that they created, He created them, and then they just reproduced into other types. No, it says that they were reproduced of the same kind. Things were not, like God did not just create life and then things evolved from there. Like, no, that's not what happened. God created things individually and those things reproduce individually. And God created them with the design specifically how he wanted them to be. And we know that this is true because this creation story is not something that is just written by Moses. This is the the creation story. Given to Moses by God. Like this is the word of God. And so. If something cannot come from nothing. Then evolution. Had to have an origin. Even that beginning origin of life. There had to be a creator. There has to be an overall source. And again, just as Stephen Hawking said, the Big Bang Theory smacks of divine intervention. I'm going to say that evolution, if we go all the way back to the beginning and talk about the question, the problem that seemingly no scientist really wants to address or talk about, it smacks of divine intervention. And people don't want to talk about that because it points to God. It points back to Scripture. It points back to the truth and the factuality of Scripture and God. And scripture says humans were created uniquely, unlike any other cre- creature. And that, too, seems accurate to me. And I know people say, oh, well, the apes, the monkeys, they can walk on two legs and have opposable thumbs, and some of them you can even teach sign, sign language to. Well, that's great. But humans are the only creatures capable of complex intellectual thought and processes. Like, you'll never hear a monkey speak English. A monkey recite poetry, like you won't see that. And well, yes, like they do have attributes; they can walk, they have opposable thumbs. They're not complex, intellectual beings. They're animals. They don't have the capability of thinking in a complex and intellectual way, and they're not capable of having complex intellectual processes. And frankly, scripture says that man was given dominion over the earth to rule over the animals. So where are the contradictions? Where are the contradictions? If the Big Bang Theory smacks of divine intervention and seemingly points to scripture and atheists, scientists who are atheists, agree that, yeah, the Big Bang Theory seems to be pretty in line with scripture. And evolution has a lot of problems on the macro side of things. Macro evolution. And really if we boil it down to some of the biggest problems that macroevolution has it too smacks of divine intervention where are the contradictions like we're saying that science and christianity completely contradict one another where are the contradictions so i just want to ask does science contradict christianity and i think here the simple answer is no no science and christianity do not contradict one another in fact i believe they share the same goal And the goal of science is the pursuit of knowledge and truth. And the goal of Christianity is the pursuit of knowledge and truth through Jesus and in Jesus. And Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you you free. And God is that truth. Now, believe it or not, Harvard's original motto was truth for Christ and the church. Truth for Christ and the church. One of the most secular universities now, in today's age, was founded on the motto, truth for Christ and the church. I think when we look at it, science is ultimately the pursuit of understanding and discovery of how God created things. Science is the pursuit of understanding how God created things and the, it's the pursuit and discovery of how God created things. But science is limited to understanding how and what. Science cannot answer why, it can't answer why something. Is beautiful, why certain things are right wrong, why we have purpose. Like science can explain how something happens or what is happening, but it can't explain why something is happening. And Christianity can. Christianity, Christianity can answer the why. It'll answer why things are beautiful. Things are beautiful because God created them. There's right and wrong because God has given us all a moral law. And we all have purpose because God has a plan for our lives. And our purpose is to serve him. Like he's given us the why. Christianity, scripture, speaks to us the why. And science alone leaves us asking why. But when you take Christianity and science and you put them together, you receive knowledge of the truth. Christianity will tell you what and how for some things. And largely, it tells you the why for everything. And science can tell you simply just, in in complex ways, how or what. It cannot tell you the why. But when you put them together, you get knowledge of the truth. Now, Ultimately, saying science is why you can't believe in God and the Bible is a smokescreen. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it is. When you say science is why you can't believe in God, why you can't believe in the Bible, it's a smokescreen. The truth is, you don't want there to be God. You don't want God to be there. Because if God is there, that would mean you might have to stop doing whatever it is you're doing that isn't pleasing to God, that isn't scripturally right for you to do. You might have to, to stop lying, you might have to stop uh, cussing, whatever it is that you're struggling with that isn't right. If God is there, that means you're also called to stop those things. It means you're called to submit and obey God, not just acknowledge his existence. Because God doesn't just ask us to acknowledge his existence. He asks us to serve him and obey him and follow him. And so if God is real, that that must mean that those things are true too. Scripture It, it means scripture is true and We don't want scripture to be true sometimes. And so if you're saying science is the reason you cannot believe in God or the Bible, you're making an excuse for yourself. And the real reason that you can't believe in God or or scripture is because you don't want God to be there because you don't want to follow God. You don't want to submit to God. You want to live life your own way. And so science is just the excuse, the convenient excuse you have made for yourself. And I don't blame you because science is something that a lot of Christians don't want to dive into, don't want to understand. And largely a lot of Christians are just content with saying, okay, there's some contradictions, but I have my faith. And so when you say that you can't believe in that because of science, a lot of times people are like, well, I don't know what to say to that because yeah, there's probably some contradictions. Well, there's not. And science points to God. If we take away the desire for God to be out of the picture, then logically science points to a creator. Take away your desire for God not to be there. The Big Bang Theory points to a creator. Points to a designer. Evolution points to a creator. In Christianity, Scripture tells us who that creator is. And it takes a whole lot more faith to believe everything just happened by chance. It takes a whole lot more faith to believe everything happened by chance than it does to simply believe that in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we get to spend together. And Lord, just ask tough questions and find real answers, real biblical answers to the tough questions that many of us are faced with, many many of us are asking every day some of the struggles that we really do have when it comes to faith and scripture and science. And so, Lord, we may not understand exactly how everything happened, why everything happened. And frankly, your ways are you say in scripture your ways are so much greater than our ways your thoughts are so much greater than our thoughts we cannot logically comprehend what it is that you're doing so lord i pray that you would just speak your truth to us that you would help us gain an understanding of how science and christianity our faith and scripture all point to you and so lord I, i pray just that you would help us understand how science and our faith work together and Lord, tonight as we go into small groups, Lord, I pray for these students, Lord, that you would just help them unpack it and help them come to an understanding and challenge them, Lord. Challenge them on their beliefs. Lord, I thank you for the love that you have for all of these students. Lord, the grace and the mercy, ultimately the love that you have for all these students. Lord, I just pray that every day, Lord, that you would walk with them, that they would understand and know your love, that they would experience your blessings. But Lord, they would choose each day to walk in relation with you. Lord, I pray that you'd keep them safe and protect them and guard them. But Lord, I pray that you would continue to draw them into deeper relation with you. And Lord, any student that's here or watching or listening that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them, that you would reveal your love to them. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. Hey everyone, this is Nathan Sell, the youth pastor at Destin United Methodist Church. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. My prayer is that the Lord would use this podcast as an opportunity to speak life into you. I hope all of you know the love that the Lord has for you and that you are experiencing His blessings each and every day. God bless you and thank you for listening.